Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here with us, whether you're here in the West service with me, watching online, watching over in our East service. Thanks for tuning in or being here. Uh, You know, when I was a church planner in Cleveland, we would often get visitors from churches in the South that were supporting our church plant that would come up and see us in Cleveland. And they would always tell me how people in the South are friendlier than people in the North. And I would just tell them, that's a seasonal thing. And they'd say, (laughs) what do you mean? And I said, well, if you meet us in the winter, we're just trying to get inside. We're not being rude, we're just talking to you will mean being outside longer and we want to go where it's warm. But if you come when the weather's nice, we are very friendly people. And so I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoyed this last week, not just because the weather's been great and I've been able to do some things that I was looking forward to doing over the winter, but because you and I, in my opinion, are the best versions of ourselves when we have a a week like we just did. And by the way, I don't know if you've thought about this, but you are heading into a season where you are gonna be around more people than you were the previous couple of months. You're gonna be out, you're gonna be about, you're gonna be around people, which means you're gonna have a lot of opportunities to talk about Jesus, if you're looking for him, if you're ready for them. And I I know I talk to a lot of Christians who say, Pastor, I, I just, really uncomfortable talking about my faith. I I don't know how to get to the conversation. I I feel intimidated. What if I get something wrong? What if I don't know enough? What if I'm offensive? I I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Listen, I, I understand that. Those are all really good reasons, really tough obstacles to overcome. And that's why uh, coming up in just a few weeks, we are hosting an event we're calling Sharing Jesus. It's on April 29th. And the whole goal of that event is to take the morning, getting you ready to talk about Jesus in an inoffensive, friendly, natural, organic way that fits your personality and and speaks directly to the person with whom you're talking. So if you have any interest in this summer getting a chance to talk to someone about your faith, I want to encourage you to be part of this event and get ready for what's going to be an incredible summer and hopefully a lot of opportunities to talk about Jesus. I'm also excited to kind of wrap up our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. Technically, next week is the last week of the series, but uh, we're baptizing that Sunday. By the way, we have almost 60 people ready to be baptized next weekend. Listen, I love what we do online. Our production team does an incredible job of making sure that if you're not here, you can, you can be part of this. But you want to be here next week. Watching baptisms online is not nearly the same as being here when one person after another celebrates Jesus as 
king. But because baptism is kind of the, the highlight of the show next week, uh, we, we this week want to focus on kind of wrapping up the sermon series in the Gospel of Mark and letting Mark kind of be center stage as we reach our conclusion. Now to do that, uh, we're actually going to go backwards in the story. So we looked at Jesus getting uh, crucified and resurrected. Now we're going back. So if you have a Bible, would you open it up to Mark chapter 8? By the way, if you have a phone or a tablet, it's perfectly okay to take that out. Google, if you're watching online, just Google Mark chapter 8. By the way, if you're back from Easter, if Easter was your first time or your first time back in a long time and you're back again, it's so good to have you here. Again, we always are just glad to see you. There's never any guilt or shame waiting. Just come on back. Glad that you're here. If you're not super familiar with the Bible, then uh, there's a Bible in front of you here in West or in East. I think it's in the back of the room. And it's the same one I preach from. And the reason for that is I can tell you the reading for today is on page 792. So if you don't know the Bible, but you know how to count, you can find it. By the way, pro tip, there's a table of contents in the front. So anytime you come to a class or program here at the church and you want to look like you know what you're doing, Just turn to the front, find the book that they mentioned, and get there. Trust me, I've been doing it for 39 years. It really works. All right, so we're going to wrap up this series. We're looking at this passage in Mark 8. And three points I want to hold out to you as an outline to guide our time together. I want to look at the question, the answer, and a nudge. Okay, a question, an answer, and a nudge. All right, let's start with the question. If I were making a movie about the gospel of Mark, okay, if I were making the gospel into a movie, this scene, this episode, this passage is the one I would end the movie with. I would have Jesus be crucified, of course, raised from the dead, and then we would cut back to this scene, him walking with his disciples and him having this conversation, and then we would end it. And the reason why is because I think this passage is actually at the center of what Mark is doing in his gospel. Look at what happens. Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now that is a general question. It's really not the question I want to focus on. But Jesus is just asking, hey, what is current popular opinion about me? What are people saying? What are, what are people thinking? If we were going to take a poll, what would people say is true of me? Who do they say that I am? And they give him some answers. Well, some people think you're Elijah, and some people think you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets. But then Jesus looks at his disciples, and he zooms in, and looks them in the eye, and he says, who do you say that I am? And I want you to know something. The push that you often hear from churches for you to make a decision about Jesus, for for you to come to a moment where you are saying, Jesus is this. I believe this about Jesus. I am embracing Jesus in this way. That, That push that often comes from a pastor on a stage like me right now, that push comes from Jesus. I want you to see that. 
That Jesus says to his disciples, not just what is the popular opinion, what is my polling telling you? He's saying to them, where are you at with me? Who do you say that I am? That is a question that Jesus is passionate about. That is information he is seeking from his disciples and from us. I mean, that's really it. That's, that's the first point, is I want you to understand it matters to Jesus who you say that he is. In fact, the Bible will tell us that the dividing line of all eternity is what you say about Jesus. That there aren't just Republicans and Democrats, this ethnicity, that ethnicity, that social class, this social class, Ohio State fans and the bad people. It's not just two categories. Okay, it's not just two categories in that way. The categories are actually, what do you say about Jesus? Do you say this or do you say that? It matters to Jesus. That's what the entire Gospel of Mark is about. Mark is writing for a purpose. If the Gospel of Mark was a movie, it would be one of those movies where the ending is designed to keep you talking. Where you're walking out of the theater saying, well, what do you think? Did they end up together or did they not? Did the bad guy get caught or did he get away? Was he dreaming or was he awake? Was she crazy or was that real? Those are the kinds of movies that Mark is channeling here. Those, he's writing for a decision. He's writing for you to wrestle. He's writing for you to decide who do you say Jesus is. Nine weeks in the Gospel of Mark. And every week has been leading to this moment. The whole purpose of spending time in the Gospel of Mark is to say to you, who do you say Jesus is? Well, that's the question. Let's look at the answer. Okay, let's look at the answers that they give. I, I love here, by the way, that the disciples edit or curate the answers. They only give Jesus positive framing. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? And surely there were people who were saying, Jesus, he's crazy. He's delusional. He's a fraud. He's a manipulator. He's full of himself. There had to be negative things said about Jesus. Certainly we know that his enemies, the Jewish religious leaders, did not say favorable things about him. I doubt the Romans did. I doubt a lot of people did. But when he says to his disciples, what do people say about me? They omit the negativity and instead they say, well, some people, Jesus, say you're Elijah. Now, why Elijah? I won't assume you've read the Old Testament, the, the kind of act one of the Bible, but if you do sometime, you will find in there a man named Elijah. You can read about him in the books 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And Elijah was a powerful prophet. He did a lot of miraculous things. He spoke with authority. He, he was the religious leader of Israel in his day. There was a little bit of a leadership vacuum that Elijah stepped into. He's an incredible character in the story of the Bible. But what's interesting about Elijah is that in 2 Kings chapter 2, he doesn't die, he's carried up into heaven. So the story goes that Elijah tells his right-hand man, who as a former struggling seminary student, I'm, I'm sad to tell you his name is Elisha, super confusing, Elijah and Elisha, 
But he tells Elisha, watch what God's going to do. And, and God kind of sweeps Elijah up in this miraculous momentum into heaven, and he's gone. He's gone. He doesn't die. So when people are saying that Jesus is Elijah, they are being complimentary. They are saying, hey, Jesus speaks with power and authority. He does miracles. The only thing I can think of that's like that is Elijah. Maybe Elijah, since he didn't die, he went up into heaven. Maybe he came back down from heaven when we weren't looking. And Jesus is Elijah. They mean it as a compliment. Some people say, Jesus, that you're John the Baptist. This is even a bigger compliment. Because John the Baptist was a rock star preacher in that day whose preaching didn't just get him killed, his head was cut off. So what they're saying is that Jesus is so powerful and and so compelling and so miraculous that their only explanation is that John the Baptist reattached his head, got out of the grave, and started teaching again. In fact, in fact, King Herod, Herod, who killed John the Baptist, believed this about Jesus. He believed Jesus was John the Baptist with a new head back on his body, preaching and teaching. They're saying Jesus is unlike anything. Even people who won't assign to him miraculous descent, Elijah, or miraculous resurrection, John the Baptist, are saying he's one of the prophets. He's like the people we read about in the Bible. He is special. He's unlike anything we've ever heard. Now, all those answers have two things in common. Number one, they acknowledge the power and authority of Jesus. Every one of them, Elijah, John the Baptist, the prophets, these are people saying Jesus teaches like no one and he does stuff that no one else can do. There's the second thing they have in common. They're all wrong. They're all wrong. When Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Peter steps up. By the way, Peter gets a hard time, right? We think of him as kind of an idiot who gets it wrong all the time. And he is mostly that, but sometimes He gets it right. Peter steps up and he says, look at what he says in verse 29, you are the Christ. In other versions of the story, in the other gospels, he'll say, you are the Christ, the son of God. Peter says, you're more than Elijah. You're more than John the Baptist. You're more than the prophets. You are the one the entire Bible is about. You are the one who's come to keep the promises of God. You are the king of heaven. You see what Mark is drawing attention to is that it's possible to be positive about Jesus and still get him wrong. I want you to hear that. It's possible to be positive about Jesus and still get him wrong. The reason why I say that is because I don't think it's an accident that Mark doesn't include the negative things that are being said about Jesus. His intended audience is not people who are dismissive of Jesus. He, in this story, he doesn't have in mind atheists, agnostics, skeptics, those who would scoff at Jesus, those who would laugh at the idea that he's something more than just another man with religious ideas. He has in mind people with positive dispositions towards Jesus, but still get him wrong. In other words, if I could be so bold, if he were writing today, he would have in mind people who are at church this morning. Let me give you a metaphor that'll drive this home. I want you to imagine that a spouse drives home after church today and waiting for them 
when they walk in is their husband or their wife sitting at the table. And the husband or wife looks at them and says, hey, I want you to know I've decided to start dating other people. And I know that's going to be upsetting to you, so I want you to hear this from me. You are still my best friend. You're so important to me. You're probably my best friend in the whole world. So even though I'm going to start dating other people, I want you to know how much you matter. See, even though they're saying something nice, they're actually insulting their spouse, reducing them, minimizing to something less than what a spouse should be. It's no different with Jesus. When we say Jesus was a good teacher, he was a good philosopher, he was an effective communicator, he was a, a, a world changer, a thought leader, a great example. When we say these things about Jesus, we feel as though we are affirming him. We feel as though we are complimenting him. Who doesn't like Jesus? But we're actually reducing him, minimizing him, offending Because he's more than all of that. He's the son of God. He's the king of heaven. He's the promised Messiah who lives and dies and resurrects and ascends and sits at the right hand of God. Hear me on this. The people Mark has in mind are people like you and me who sing wonderful things about Jesus, who say wonderful things about Jesus, who tweet and post and like and whatever else there is to do on social media about wonderful things about Jesus, who knit things that he says on our pillows and put posters on our wall, but reduce him down to something less than king. And I especially want to speak to my generation and the generation to come after me this morning and to say, if you welcome the words of Jesus, but not on sexuality, you are calling him Elijah. If you welcome the words of Jesus, but not on gender, you're calling him John the Baptist. If you welcome the words of Jesus, but want him to stay out of your bank account, you're calling him a prophet. But he isn't any of those things. He's king. And anything short of acknowledging and surrendering and welcoming and embracing and celebrating and coronating Jesus actually misses him completely. I'll give you an example of this. When we, was when we were teaching our daughter Ava about God's triunity, that God is one and yet three, that You've God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. I know what you're thinking. Boy, I'm so glad he didn't grow up in your house. <laughs> our, our daughter, was, Ava, was out in the yard. She had to be seven or eight at the time. And by the way, this is when we lived in Cleveland. So if you know my neighbors, this is not them, okay? So Ava's out in the yard, and she sees our neighbor, and she says, Miss so-and-so, do you believe in God? My neighbor had to be thinking, I told her, my husband, not to buy the house next to the pastor. I told him, and I told him. And she said, well, well, yeah, yeah, I do. And Ava looked at her and said, the triune God? <laughs> but even at seven or eight, Ava realized you have to push past the initial answer. 
Do you believe in Jesus? King Jesus? Son of God Jesus? Crucified, resurrected, Lord of everything, Jesus, the one of whom Abraham Kuyper said, there's not a square inch of the universe over which he cannot rightfully say, mine. That Jesus? Can we be honest for a second? That's really hard. It's really hard to welcome that Jesus. Easy to make him Elijah, easy to make him John the Baptist, easy to invite him into some areas and quarantine others away from him. Easy to do, hard to welcome his kingship, hard. And by the way, I'm saying that and I get paid by him, sort of. It's hard. And I don't want you to crown him, please hear me on this, I don't want you to crown him out of compulsion. That's not the goal of this sermon, to hit you over the head with his kingship. I want you to welcome him. And so to do that, my last point is a nudge. Just a nudge in that direction. There's something buried at the end of this passage that is really, really important. Jesus says to them, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, our latest polling, Jesus says, John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet, but it's all good, Jesus. It's all good. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And again, Peter steps up. You know, I feel bad for Peter. I feel like if Peter were a pastor today, he'd probably drive an orange Jeep. <laughs> Way too fast. Peter steps up and he says, you're the Christ. And then Jesus says this. Look at what he says. Verse 30. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Jesus says, Peter, stop talking. Don't say that out loud. Why? Why? Well, to understand that, you've got to understand the baggage that comes with this term Christ, Messiah, anointed one. You see, the Jewish people believed that God had promised them a leader, and God had. Way back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve eat from the tree and they're being pronounced, judgment is being pronounced on them, and God says, but don't worry, I'm going to send someone. He tells Satan, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. From that day on, the whisper of a Messiah, a king, a ruler would come. We sing all these songs at Christmas, right, about the Messiah that was promised, the Messiah is coming. And the Jewish people believed that when that Messiah came, they would experience a political revolution, that they would be set free from their captors, in this case, Rome, that a new era of Jewish ownership and Jewish government in their area would be established, that the Davidic kingdom would be returned. And Jesus knows that if he goes around saying, I'm the Messiah, they will rally to him. Politically, they will rally to him. They will celebrate him. They will fight for him. In fact, this happens in the Gospels a couple of times. Jesus will do a miracle, and the crowd will get so fired up about it, they want to make him king. But Jesus knows, listen, Jesus knows that setting them free from Rome is way smaller than what he's actually come to do. Jesus says, don't talk about me being the Messiah. And if you read the next few verses, you'll see this, that Jesus says, because I've come to die. I don't want them getting in the way 
of my death. I've come to die. And of course, Jesus will tell us that his death is for us, that he lives righteously in our place, that he dies sacrificially for us, that he raises from the dead to open up the doors of heaven for us. Jesus is saying, if, if the crowd wants to make me king now, I, I, I won't be king later. And the bad news is then you won't be with me. But do you understand what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, Peter, you're right. I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one of God. I am, I am the high king of heaven. I, I created the world and I have come back to redeem it. But Peter, you have to understand something. I have to shed that glory for you to share in that glory. Peter, I have to shed that glory in order for you to share in that glory. You see the heart of Jesus. See, we, we, we think about Jesus' love for us in that he died on the cross for us, and we should. We think about Jesus' glory and that he rose from the dead, and, and we should. That he ascended into heaven, that he sits at the right hand of God, we should. But don't miss the minute-by-minute sacrifice of his life, shedding the glory he rightfully deserved in order to go to the cross for us. See, understand this. The reason why we hate kings, the reason why we can't stand tyrannical bosses or the head of our HOA <laughs> is because they say to us, here's how I want you to live for my glory. You must die in order for me to get what I want. That might be a little dramatic with the HOA, come to think of it. <laughs> but not, not Jesus. Jesus says, I have come to die. I've come to shed. I've come to sacrifice. I've come to lay down in order that you might share in the glory that is waiting for me. Friends, this is not a king whose desire is to ruin you. This is not a king who's out to limit you, contain you, destroy you. This is a king who's out for your good. I don't mean he won't ever ask for hard things. I, I don't even mean that it won't feel like he's trying to kill you. But this king, this king who says, shh, don't say who I really am because I have to die for you is not a king you have to be afraid of. You see, when you make him Elijah, you lose. When you reduce him to John the Baptist, you lose. Because what you're losing is a king whose desire is to bring about his glory by accomplishing your good. There is not another voice in your life that is as committed to your good as the voice of King Jesus. But I want you to hear me. We are the ones Mark is worried about. In a world of us and them, good guys and bad guys, how easy it would be to be like, well, we're here on Sunday, so he must be warning everybody else. But no, everyone out there is not calling him Elijah. Everyone out there is not calling him John the Baptist. They're not celebrating him. They're not acknowledging him. We're the ones doing that. Don't miss him. He's the king, the king who loves us, the king who proved it, 
and his life and his death and his resurrection. Who do you say Jesus is? Let me pray for us. Father God, I love to see your heart for us in your Bible. I don't think this question from Jesus is for Peter or for the disciples. It's for all of us. Right there in the center of the gospel, it's as though you're grabbing us and saying, are you paying attention? Are you following along? Are you thinking about this? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what I cannot do, is that you would disrupt every one of us. Give us restless nights. Give us restless mornings. Shake us until we see what it is that we really say about Jesus. And we move to receiving him as king. Jesus, you are king, whether we acknowledge it or not. In your mercy, Bring us along. In your name we pray. Amen.